Oh, after four years, uh, Chris, uh, we're, we're finished. <laughs> Congratulations. And uh, um, four years, that's interesting. Barbara and I have been on a transition from the Phoenix area to Tucson. We're finally here. We've been here for a month now, and we, we feel like... Thank you. It's like the longest move ever. I don't know how... Like we moved about two miles a year or something. I'm not... But we are here, and we're thankful. And... Uh, um, we're going to look this morning about a subject I've been thinking about for months. Why do I do the things I do? Do you ever think about that? What's my, my motivation? What, what goes on inside of me? Um, you know, I, I volunteer to do a certain thing. Is that, why do I do that? And we'll get into that for a minute. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I wasn't a very good athlete, but they did let me on the, on the golf team. And I wasn't on the varsity, I was just on the JV level. But I think one of the reasons was because I always wanted that big shot. I wanted to get on the green like in one or in two, and I'd swing as hard as I could. I'd end up over in that fairway, over in this one. And there was hole number nine on this little course where we played. Uh, it was called a dog leg. If you know what a dog leg is, it goes around a corner. And the, the temptation was to try to go over the trees. We had real trees back in Illinois. Or to try to go through the trees. And I so wanted to get there. And I tried it each time. Uh, why did I do this? I never seemed to get there. And one, I, I lost lots of balls down in those trees. Why do we do the things we do? Sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. But we do them anyway. Why do we help the little old lady across the street? Why do we eat too much Sometimes. Uh, why do we put others down or tease? Uh, why do we sometimes shade the truth just a little bit? And maybe this isn't a problem for most of you. I guess I'm asking myself these questions. Uh, why do we compare ourselves with others and feel like we have to compete or we're never quite good enough or we feel a little inferior or a little inadequate? Why do we struggle with temptations and, and get sucked into that, that role of sometimes going down the road of sin even though we know it's not good for us? Well, if you're like me, we have a variety of motivations, things spinning around in our minds, and we sometimes don't listen to what we should listen to. There's things that compete for our attention, and these, compete, these things then lead us to think in certain ways and behave in certain ways, and we act out. And so it's complexity, maybe. What drives you? What is your passion? What is your motivation? What is going on in your heart? What do you long for? What do you look forward to? Do you sometimes wonder? We're going to get into a passage that we've all read many times today, but before we go there, I'd like to first go and look a little bit uh, from, I guess it's kind of more from uh, the secular, what the secular world te- uh, tells us about what our motivations, and uh, then we'll kind of come back around to Luke chapter 15. Um, one slide, if you've got it there. Why do we do what we do? We're driven by our needs. If you had Psych 101, you heard of a, of a professor named Abraham Maslow. Do you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Uh, we see them there, the physiological, the safety, the belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. His idea was everybody is driven by these needs for shelter and food, for comfort, for safety. Very understandable. Don't we all desire uh, those things? And then uh, family relationships. And his, his theme was if you get to a certain level, you get past those needs and you self-actualize or you express yourself in your world by being kind and nice to others. 
Um, but of course, even by thinking along that road, it's all about self, right? And you know the bondage of uh, being trapped in just what do I get or what do I get, get to offer? It's about self. We're trapped there. So there's got to be a better explanation than that. Um, Romans, uh, Paul wrote in Romans 7, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's something more than just meeting my own needs. Because if that's my motivation, it'll come up thin. We can also be driven by our beliefs. Our beliefs, and and not just our theology, but our beliefs about true or untrue things about ourselves and our world. Sometimes I do what I do because it'll make me feel better about myself. Helping the little old lady across the street, uh, she needs it, but that'll make me feel good, right? Um, When many years ago, when we all, us with with our kids, lived in the Phoenix area, we went down on Thanksgiving Day to Salvation Army to serve at the Salvation Army meal down in downtown Phoenix. There were almost more volunteers than there were uh, street people or homeless people for, for the meal. However, there we were to serve, and we got our instructions. I don't know if you've ever done that. And we got our instructions, and just about the moment where everybody was going to go to their stations, a lady stands up and she says, I get the dressing. I always serve the dressing. Well, what was it about? Was it about helping people get enough food? Or was it maybe about she felt good, she soothed her conscience by one day a year, she would serve the dressing, right? Now, we laugh at that. Of course, we would never think like that ourselves, right? We do things because it made me feel better about ourselves. Let's go on to this thing of uh, goals. I call this the Cyclops diagram. Do you have that there, Rich? Um, We have needs. We have goals. Uh, We may have goals that I want to make X number of dollars this year. I would like to drive a new Cadillac. I want people to like me. These are all goals. And you say, well, they're a little selfish. Well, maybe. Um, in fact, I had a, a friend once. He said, Tom, if I don't make $100,000 this year, I'm nobody. Wow, okay. The problem was he was a musician part-time for a church. And, uh, well, you guys tell me. Do you make, well, I won't even ask. Oh, we, musicians, especially 20 years ago, they didn't make uh, $100,000 for working in a church. But sometimes we set ourselves up with goals that we believe are really important because they reflect back on ourselves. If I accomplish this goal, I'll feel better about myself. If I don't accomplish it, I'll feel bad. I'll feel frustrated. And inevitably, on our march toward the goals, do you have the little X there? Um, We get stymied or we hit a roadblock that frustrates us and we can't reach our goal. Well, if you can't reach your goal, how are you going to feel? You're going to feel bad. And so you're either going to let it out in a kind of a pattern where you kind of get in this angle. This is part of the Cyclops where it's anger, resentment, bitterness. Or if you hold it inside, it might be depression, malaise, uh, discouragement, anxiety. Why do we do the things we do? Sometimes because we have these goals. They may not be good goals. We may need to get around to having God's goals rather than whatever I've, I've embraced or values I've embraced growing up or as, a, as an adult. I remember uh, uh, 
some of you guys will identify with this. I was, I was sent to Safeway to get a gallon of milk on the way home. Now, how long should it take to get a gallon of milk at Safeway? Just like two minutes, right? Um, everybody, or ladies, so where do they stick the milk? I've forgotten. No, it's way in the back, right? It doesn't take two minutes. It takes five minutes to get there and then back and walk, getting around carts and things. And, and then I get up there, and then there's someone in the 20 items or less lane, and they've got 42 items, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm getting, I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting irritated. I'm getting on the point of anger. Why am I getting so angry? What's driving that? Is it really because the person in front of me has 42 items? I mean, if I'm not there, I don't care if they have 42 items or not, right? Uh, what it really is, is someone's keeping me from my goal. My goal is to get the milk home, we have a quick dinner, and then I have need to get back to an appointment, because if I'm going to show up late, then people would view me as not very professional. So it's really about my self-esteem or what people think about me. It's not about the lady or the man that has 42 items. Why do we do the things we do? Sometimes we have confused motives and, and uh, confused uh, thoughts about goals or beliefs. Philippians 2, though, tells us, do not merely look out for our own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, it is a given that you will take care of yourself. Almost all of us seem like we spend enough time thinking about ourselves. But aren't we called to rise above that? And not just be bound, uh, in bondage to self and my needs and my beliefs and my self-interests. We're called to rise above that. We can also be driven not by our, only by our needs or our beliefs, but also by our fears. What will people think? What's going to happen now? What happens when the other shoe drops? In uh, our, the website for our ministry, Life Changers, um, the number one search term that people are looking for to figure out how to deal with is anxiety. And closer related with, with that is stress. In this day and age where we have a pretty nice standard of living, where we have safety most of our places, where unemployment is, is low and, and a lot of good things happening, Anxiety is rising among people more and more and more. We get controlled and actually driven by that. Now, fear is a strong motivator, but it's not what God has for us. Does he want us to be driven by fear? Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my hearts. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. There has to be something more. Galatians 5 says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Free from sin, free from bondage, and free from our fears. There has to be something more. So we're driven by our fears, our anxieties, our needs, our beliefs. We can also be driven by our need for self-esteem. Some of us know about this. I need to do certain things and accomplish certain things to feel good about myself or what others will think of me. Uh, to prove myself to my dad or my friends or my peers or society in general or to myself. When I was a young Christian, my first week, on, uh, I was a freshman, University of Illinois, and I was discipled by two different student ministries the first week. 
I guess uh, there weren't enough of us to go around, but the Campus Crusade got me, uh, crew got me, and, and we went out witnessing. And the first person I talked to was from the Baha'i faith. I didn't know what was going on there. I just knew that Jesus had saved me, and that's what I shared. But also, I met up with a group called Navigators. We know a few of those. And uh, they told me that if I memorize Bible verses, that's a good idea. So I memorized their first five verses. We know this. And then I memorized their first 60 verses. Well, that was good. And I started to realize if I went witnessing and if I memorized these Bible verses, it's certainly good for me, but it's, these people liked me. Now, this is a little careful. Uh, certainly, this was good for my spiritual life, but it was also, I felt accepted. So if 60 is good, then 100 must be better. Well, then I'll memorize 200. Well, am I impressing other people or am I impressing God? Do you hear that subtle thing in there? What's my motive? What's driving me? And probably we have mixed motives. I needed to come to realize that you can't impress God. Now, that sounds really kind of stupid to even think of, but memorizing or witnessing or serving or whatever we do, we don't impress God. Isaiah 66 says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is a house you would build for me? Where will my resting place be? Your works don't impress us. Don't impress me. Has not my hand made all these things, and, these things, and that, so they came into being, declares the Lord? But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. It isn't about what we do for God, right? It's about enjoying the beauty and the grace and the love of God. And then just sharing that. There's an author back in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, the books are probably out of print, but you might get them on Amazon. Gordon MacDonald, he wrote a book called Ordering Your Private World. If you've ever seen it, take a look at it. Um, he had a chapter and it said, are you driven or are you called? Think about that. Are you driven by fears or anxieties or a need to prove yourself? Or are you called by God and filled with the grace of God, and that's your motivation? When we're called, we are free from the needs and the fears to enjoy the love of God and to serve him. Now, let's ask that question anew. Why do you do what we do? And let's get into our passage. Sorry about the long delay. Luke chapter 15 if you have it with you, open it up. I don't have, don't have all the words up there, and I'll read along. Luke chapter 15, and first I would look at uh, verse 1. And the context is, Jesus is te- speaking to two groups of people. Verse 1 tells us, he, he, um, he spoke to the tax gatherers and the sinners, and he also spoke to the Pharisees and the legal teachers, the pharisaical teachers. So as we go through this, think in mind, there's two different groups. And when Jesus told a parable or a story, he had his audience in mind. And there's a reason he spoke to these two. Verse 11 starts off, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now we all know this story. We all know this parable. It's called the parable of the prodigal son, right? 
Well, actually, it's a parable of two sons because there's two involved here. We have a younger son, a sinner, and an older son, more the self-righteous. And so the father had to split his property between the younger son and the older son. There's a good book here I brought along. Um, if you've ever read Tim Keller, it's called The Prodigal God. It's good, and uh, take a look at that if you have an opportunity. Um, three parts to this parable, where the father probably divided his estate one-third to the younger son, two-thirds to the older son. Probably had to take a mortgage out to buy out and to pay off the younger son. Verse, uh, verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Of course, a good Jewish boy or a radical, uh, rebellious Jewish boy out feeding pigs, right? He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So first we have plan A. Plan A is wild living, have a good time, uh, immediate gratification. Didn't work out so well. It ended up starving, pigs, um, bad experience. Go on to plan B. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Plan A, wild living, bad experience, selfishness. Plan B, turn back. I know, I'll get hired on and work for my dad. Okay, at least I'll have enough to eat. Um, as I read through this, and I try to look at it with fresh eyes, how many of us have been down that road where we've made some wrong choices? Sometimes it was when we were younger people. Sometimes it's when we were a little older, and we made some wrong mistakes. And we saw sometimes it didn't turn out so well. Plan A was not so good. And God can use those difficulties, those wrong choices, to get our attention when we come to our senses and then turn back. It's a vision of repentance. So verse 20, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Part one was about the younger son and his wrong choice and then his, turn back, his re- turning back in repentance. Part two the younger son, and the father. The son returns, and the father sees him from a long way off. Was he standing? Was he looking for him? Was he waiting for him? You get that feel. And he goes out to him and accepts him back. 
in years past, and I've heard this uh, a message preached about this subject, that's usually where, where it goes to. It's about the Father's love, and absolutely this uh, passage speaks to that. But there's a little bit more we're going to go on and discover. The Father welcomes him back and celebrates hugs, kisses, acceptance, uh, ring, sandals, fattened calf. The word celebrate is mentioned twice already. And then we'll go on to part three. The older brother became angry and refused to go out. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes and he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Part three. First we had the younger son, then we had the younger son and the father, and now we have the older son and the father. And remember the younger son, older son? Tax gatherers, sinners, older son, Pharisees, teachers. Jesus is speaking to both of these groups of people. The older son was indignant. He was angry. He wouldn't come in. All these years I've been slaving. I've never disobeyed. It's unfair. I don't even get a goat. I don't get a celebration. Do you hear that? What do I get? When is it my turn? I want. I need. I, I, I. We'd never think this way, right? This son of yours, he dissociates himself from the family. He says, My needs are so important, I don't even want to think of him as a brother now. Greed displaced love. It displaced relationship. And so he got this self-righteous, judgmental attitude. And that's a clear contrast with the father. Father says, my son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father says, son, do you really not get it? Of course you've got, you've got everything. You've got all that we've got left. Don't you see? Have you forgotten all that I've done for you? But your brother was lost and is found. Of course we celebrate. Now mentioned for the fourth time. A relationship is much more important than possessions, right? Now, he didn't give up on the older, older brother, but he did speak to him and say, look, let's get this straight. He implores him to join in. So what do we learn from this? We see a response of love and forgiveness, of celebration. And why do we do what we do? What drives us? Lessons to learn from this parable. Of course, it's not just about the younger brother. It's about both of them. And Jesus actually condemns both of them. The wild living, certainly not a good idea, didn't end up good until it led to repentance. The older brother, though, also equally not good. We learn that stuff does not satisfy. How many times do we have to keep learning this lesson? Money, wild living, goat, new cars, trips, whatever that is, these things don't satisfy us, do they? Um, the latest, greatest new phone, or whatever that gizmo is. 
After a few months, it's not so great after all, right? Things don't satisfy. What else do we learn? We have a tendency as people to seek God to meet those felt needs that we have. We have a tendency to treat God like a soda machine. I put my four quarters or five or three quarters in, and I push Diet Coke or Dr. Pepper, and that's what I want. But God is not a soda machine, is he? He's almighty God. He's whom we serve, who has done all things for us. And we love him and appreciate him and value him and not just go after him for what we need. Both brothers wanted something from the father. Did you notice that? They wanted money for experiences. And neither one were happy. And neither one truly sought the father. So the lesson there is seek God, not just what he can do for us. We have a tendency also to go from being a younger brother to an older brother. When we first come into the faith and we're, we, we grow and we learn and we turn from bad habits and, and have new values, there's a tendency among believers to then get a little self-righteous about people that don't have it figured out yet. Now, I know we're real careful about that, to not be judgmental of others. But we have to continue to watch against that, that I'm not judging and say, well, she doesn't, they don't, he doesn't, because they're not quite like me or haven't been around or whatever that is. That self-righteous attitude is condemned just as much as the wild living. So what do we learn? Seek the Father, not just your needs. There's a challenge there. Don't just seek what God can do for you. And of course, he calls us to come and lean on him and trust him and ask for help. And we do that all the time. But we don't want to just stop there. God, will you please meet these needs? We want to meet the Father, meet the Son, meet the Spirit, and enjoy him. What do we learn? We learn the importance of to celebrate. To celebrate your restored relationship with God. Well, what does that mean to celebrate? Well, it can be, you know, we think of celebrations. Usually it's with alcohol and wild music and things. Um, celebration can be food and it can be music. And, but I think mostly that, that's, a, that's a heart thing. It's what God has done in me and appreciation and then maybe sharing that with others. Celebrate. A clear call to seek God, to enjoy him, to enjoy your life with him, and then to serve him not out of obligation, or out of a need to build your own self-esteem, or a need somehow to get your needs met, but to serve him in gladness and thankfulness. Why do we do what we do? Well, if I'm honest, I struggle. I have mixed motives. Um, I sometimes have wrong motives. I was asking one of the elders here, uh, we were at Easter lunch together, so I said, uh, so if you've got the wrong motives, what do you do? He gave a real uh, a profound statement. He said, keep serving anyway, but then work on the attitudes. Work on getting that straight. Well, how do I work on my attitude? Well, that's why the quiet time, that's why the devotion time with God is so important, isn't it? We come to God, and we certainly enjoy him and worship, but he said, Lord, we, are, we have to come clean. We have to be honest with God and say, Lord, my attitude's not real good here, and seek him. And then keep working until I do have the right motives. There's a man called, uh, named 
Kent Keith back in 1968, and he wrote the Paradoxical Commandments. I don't know if you're ever aware of those. One of them goes like this. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. Don't give up. Whether other people accuse you of somehow or whether inside you accuse yourself. You keep doing it, but we also work on those motives. You get your heart straight. You seek him. You spend time with him. You rejoice in him. And you thank him. Maybe we also help one another with these motives. In your groups, we share about that. Say, Lord, pray for me. Or we need a little accountability. Get those attitudes straight. That takes a little bit of uh, transparency. And then just to conclude, let me just share this. So let us go out today and serve him in joy and hope. This week, this month, let us impact our world with the love of God and the gospel of hope and kindness. As we rise above our mixed motives, our needs, and our wrong beliefs, and we're free to celebrate our relationship with the risen Savior. Amen. Can I pray with you? Thank you for this wonderful day of worship, of celebrating our relationship with you. Thank you with being together with our brothers and sisters. Thank you for all the folks that uh, have stepped up to lead here at the Vineyard and around Tucson and around the world. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, and we don't have to be trapped into selfishness or the bondage of serving our own needs or fears. You've done all things for us. We're freed from that. Help us walk in that freedom, in that love and forgiveness and thankfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.